Thank you, Dave, just the way we rehearsed it. Okay. And uh, good morning, everyone. Just one additional announcement, if I may, Ramey. Yes, next week is Christmas Eve. We'll have our Christmas Eve service in the morning, but we do have a devotional at night, a 16-minute devotional that you can listen, in, listen to at your home, and we'll get you information on that. So we do have a kind of a, a devotional thought for the evening. Just... And it's only 16 minutes long. Can you believe I can do something in 16 minutes? <laughs> okay, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're going to ask you to stand one more time in reverence for the Word as we read together the first 14 verses, as we look at our theme this morning, the eternal Word. Who is this Christ whose birth we celebrate at Christmas? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined to the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness about that light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, yet the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. Here's the great hope. But to those who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May God bless his Word. Amen. Sit, please. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 today, and next week, John begins the Gospel with a prologue, the first 18 verses. He ends the Gospel with an epilogue. The prologue is one of the most astounding passages in the Word of God. And Ramey, some believe it was a hymn that was sung in the early church. So there's a task for you to write this to music, okay? It speaks of the coming of Christ to earth, his rejection, and his pouring out of grace upon grace to those who receive him. The word, the name John means gift of Jehovah. His father is Zebedee. John had a brother named James. Uh, James and John were fishermen. Uh, John was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Uh, we had Peter, James, and John. But the purpose of the book is, is really set out for us in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. These things are written that you might believe, that you might have an intellectual understanding, that you might have a conviction, that you might have something to hang your hat on. And then he goes on to say, once you have that, then you will, by believing, you might have life in his name. That's by accepting these facts, receiving them, surrendering to the facts that you believe about the gospel, you receive the facts about the gospel. That's the whole purpose that John is writing, that you may know and that you might believe. 
the Gospel of John is more theological uh, rather than uh, biographical or historical. It's written again to know that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Son of God. We've been singing about that this morning. A question that Jesus was frequently asked. Are you the Messiah? Tell us. Are you the Messiah? John chapter 1 tells us he is the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. But more than that, he is the eternal Son of God. And that's what I'd like you to grasp this morning. I don't think there's any better book in the Bible than the, the Gospel of John to help us trusting Christ and treasuring Christ. The portrait we have here in the Gospel of John is written by an eyewitness. When John writes his uh, first epistle, John 1, 1, he says, this is Jesus whom we've seen and heard and touched him. He was a real man. He was a real person. He wasn't just some kind of ghost or emanation or something. He was a real person. Five times throughout this Gospel, it says, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. John knew him very well, knew him as a man, but he wants to present him as the God-man here. So the first three verses, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the first word we're going to focus on is the word, word. <laughs> The most important thing to know about the Word, we found out down in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, I spent three years with him. I touched him. I heard him. I was with him. I watched him. He ate. He drank. He slept. He cried. He was tempted. He was just like us. But, there's a big but here. But is a turnaround word, a U-turn word. But he was the eternal Son of God. And we beheld his glory. We sang about that glory this morning. We beheld his glory. As you behold Jesus Christ, you see the glory of God, the Father. So what John is telling us is the ultimate fact about Jesus. He wants us to have this fact in our mind as we read through the Gospel of John, that it's fixed in our mind, that it's clear, from the very beginning, the eternal majesty, the deity, the creator, the word. And that word in Greek is logos, L-O-G-O-S. The Gospel of John is written by a Hebrew, therefore logos was somewhat of a foreign concept to them. But he's going to import it into Christianity for us. The concept of the word logos was imbued with a lot of different meanings for the Greeks. It was impersonal. It was abstract. It was reason, the order of the universe. Perhaps you remember, I was going to say a number of years ago, probably 40 years ago, but for me that's just a number of years ago. We used to, may the force be with you. Remember, some of you remember that? Yeah. That's what the, that's, thank you. That's what the Greeks were talking about. It, it was a force. John says he's more than a force. He is the eternal Son of God. So unlike the Greek concept, Jesus was not impersonal. He was real. He was not a principle. He was not an emanation. And then it says he became. It doesn't mean that he ceased to become God. 
and becoming man, he did not forsake his divine nature. Divinity and humanity, perfectly balanced. Don't ask him how. I can't tell you. But he's perfectly balanced, divine and human. Jesus didn't have to pick between being a, a human or deity. He was both at the same time. A very poor illustration of this. Fifty years ago, I was a man. I still am. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Forty-seven years ago, I became a husband. A man and a husband. Forty-three years ago, I became a father. So now I'm a man, a husband, and a father. And you all know what happened five years ago. I became a grandfather. So I'm a man, a husband, a father, a grandfather. I didn't cease to be any one of those. And maybe it helps you understand a little bit about Jesus. He's holy God and holy man at the same time without ceasing to be either one. The Logos was not just a Greek concept. It, it moved over into the Hebrew concept. So the word of God in the Old Testament is so important, well known to the Jews. The word of the Lord came over and over we hear, we read. By the word of God, Genesis 1.1, everything was created. He spoke and it happened. Can you imagine that? What a powerful word. And, he, and the Lord here is telling us that he, Jesus Christ, is the word of God. He spoke and it was so. My wife has things for me to do and she speaks. They're not always so. <laughs> they don't always get done. But when God speaks, it gets done. It's done. He created things. He introduced the Abrahamic covenant. He revealed God to Samuel. He pronounced judgment on Eli. He spoke through the prophets. He revealed himself to Israel. And now we have the next word is was, W-A-S. In the beginning was. Was is in the Greek. An imperfect tense. Now, you're glad to hear that, aren't you? Now it makes complete sense to you. It's not past tense. It's not future tense. And it's not present tense. Not past, not present, not future. It's continuous. In the beginning, the word was continuously and the word was continuously with God. And the word was continuously God. It's an ongoing word. Remember in geometry, a line, and the, the teacher would put a line on the board and said, the line has no beginning and no end. And then they put a little dot on one end and say, now the line has a beginning but no end. And they put a period on the other end and now the line has a beginning and end. Jesus has no period. There's no beginning. There's no end. He is continuous God. And that's the God that we're celebrating here at Christmas time. So when he asked, Why are you, what are you doing in the Gospel of John? You should be in Luke. You should be in Matthew. I want you to know who this Jesus is. He's a continuous God, the eternal God. It's self-evident. And yet, you can't explain it. You can't explain being without beginning, without end. We're taken into the realm of the timeless, 
There never was a time, there never will be a time when Jesus did not exist. Don't ask me how that is. That's the mystery of the God that we worship. And you know, we ought to fall down like Thomas and say, my Lord and my God, this is who Jesus is. This is what Christmas is all about. The eternal God came to redeem us. And then it tells us here that he's God's alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. If you ask our little grandson, Timothy, does he know the alphabet? He can go through the alphabet. Show him the book and he can tell you what the letters are. But he can't tell you what the words are yet. Someday he will. He can't put them together. When Jesus came, he put the alphabet together. He explained to us who God is. He explained to us what God wanted to do for us. He was God's alphabet. In Jesus Christ, we see God's heart. We see God's plan. We see God's purpose. He makes the incomprehensible more comprehensible, if I can put it that way. So that's the focus of the first three verses. John means for us to read this gospel worshipfully, humbly, submissively, and I don't use this word lightly, awestruck. We ought to be awestruck when we think about who this Jesus is. The Holy Spirit declares to John the very first words out of his pen. I want you to know without a doubt who this Jesus is. I want you to know his identity. The man who became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's no, no mistaking. As you read every word of this, you should read it with solid amazement and knowledge that Jesus Christ was with God, he was God, and the one who laid down his life for us. The one who created the universe by speaking. And he sustains the universe. At this very moment, we're being sustained because he has spoken. He hasn't taken his word back. Whatever else we need to know about Jesus, we need to know he is the eternal son of God in infinite majesty. He is uncreated. Everything else we see around us is created. Somebody made it. It came from somewhere. And we become little philosophers and we say, where did God come from? I don't know. But I know he is. And he know he, he always will be. And he sent his son. And so John calls Jesus the word. The word that expresses who God is. Now I have a thought. Oh, I'm another one. But you don't know what they are, do you? Until I speak them, till I articulate them. Once in a while, my wife says, Honey, use your words. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> but God was thinking, He was thinking in redemptiveness for us. He was thinking how, from before the foundation of the world, I'm going to redeem these people because they're going to go astray, and I'm going to redeem them. And Jesus is the truth of God in such a unified way, decisive way. He's the final word. He's the final word. What God had to say to us was not mainly what Jesus taught, but what he did and what he said. 
He is the Word. The Word is a medium of expression, how we express ourselves. I don't know what you're thinking right now. Probably it's best I don't. But when you use your words, we know what we're thinking. We know what we're talking. So Jesus is that means of communication, God's means of communicating to us. Over in the book of Revelation, the very end of time, in Revelation chapter 19, and Christ is coming to reign. And we read in John 19, uh, Revelation 19, 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. He was the Word in the beginning. He's going to be the Word in the end. And two verses later down there in Revelation, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword. In other words, he's going to judge people with his words. He's not chopping people up with his sword, but he's going to do it with his words. His words bring conviction to our hearts. It is his word that brings truth and life to us. Not my word, it's his word that brings truth and life. Over in Ephesians 6, we know that the word of God is a sword of the spirit. The word of God is powerful, it's living. So John begins his gospel here with this revelation. All truth, all witness, all glory, all light, all the words of Jesus come out of him are truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way. I didn't come to show you the way. Imagine you were lost somewhere, and somebody comes up next to you in their car and says, can I help you? And they begin to tell you directions. You go down here, and you da, 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 and you yeah, but the third turn, you're lost. But they say, I'll take you there. Follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. I'll take you there. I am the way. I haven't come to show you the way. I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. He doesn't just come to tell us the truth. He is the very truth and the conviction of who we need to meet in him for salvation. And then he's the life. We sang about the life, the grave. If that seems strange to some of you this morning, talk about no grave and no death. That's the believer's hope. We're not anxious to get there because God has something for us to do now, but there's a right time. And that's the believer's hope, that life that we have in Christ. So he's all glory, all light, all the words that come from Jesus, his living, his teaching, his dying, his rising again, his ascending up or summed up in the fact that he is the word, the first, the final, the ultimate the decisive truth. Over in Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these times, he has spoken to us by his son. And he's still speaking today. The son of God incarnate is God's climatic and decisive word to the world. John wants to tell us four things about the son the time of his existence. And the first verse here in John 1 says, in beginning was word. There's no definite article there. In beginning was the word. Well, what beginning is he talking about? Genesis 1? There's the beginning of miracles. There's the beginning of sorrows. There's the beginning of signs. Lots of beginnings. Without that definite article, he's saying there is no beginning. 
Jesus had no beginning. He goes back before creation. In fact, the plan of salvation, we've told you before, was done before the foundation of the world. God thought of you. Wow. A holy God, uncreated, <laughs> thought of you before the foundation of the world. He was in the beginning. He predates time as we know it. And he carries us back to the most remote point. He is himself without beginning. He is eternal, without beginning, without end. Go back to our theme. These things are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus is located here in 1-1 as the eternal Son of God in relation to time. Jude puts it this way. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and forevermore. In the Old Testament, it's called from everlasting to everlasting. In the Hebrew, it's time out of mind. If you think about it, you'll go out of your mind <laughs> thinking what eternity. You go back and just think about eternity. It's time out of mind, time to the vanishing point, to the beginningless past. God has seen, foot, seen fit to put eternity in our hearts, created in the image of God, to be image bearers of God, and to have eternity in our hearts. Do you wonder why the world is so messed up today? They're looking for that eternity. They're looking for something outside themselves. And the only real answer is in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you're looking for something else. There is no other answer. There's only one name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one authority. It doesn't get any simpler than that. The, the word, eternal. Everything about us is going to be gone one day. It's transient. It's temporal. But we long for eternity. And most people know there's something more than this life. They just don't always know what it is. And what it is is a who? Jesus Christ. Let it be known loud and clear that Calvary, we worship Christ as God. We gather together to worship Christ as God. So the time of his existence, eternal. The essence of his identity, John describes the word reaching its pinnacle in the third clause here. The word was God. No doubt about it. The word was God. Not only did the word exist from eternity, have, it had face-to-face -face fellowship with God. There's a word in there called pros, P-R-O-S, facing, face-to-face. -face. Once in a while I get a, a, an email from somebody at work who's asked me a question, and I get back, we should, talk to the, we should talk about this face to face. Can you imagine the Father and the Son in such wonderful harmony, face to face? And then Jesus comes to earth. And on the cross, three hours of darkness, the Father couldn't look. The, the one that he had eternity with, we can't even imagine that, is now about to die. To die for sinful man, forever changed his nature for us. Later on, we're going to sing, Hail, 
Hail the Word made flesh. We ought to be hailing him as the eternal son, eternal deity. We hear Jewish leaders later on in the Gospel of John say, it's not for good work that we're going to stone you, but for blaspheming. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And we say, no, that's not blasphemy. That's who he is. He is God. He is deity, our Savior, our Lord. And then from the middle of that verse, the word was with God. We get that great uh, historic doctrine of the, the, the Trinity here. He was with him for all of eternity from the beginning, a free co-mingling, if you please, a personality that is intelligent and living and active, but a separate personality. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in intimate fellowship with each other, face to face. The time of his existence, eternal. The essence of his existence, face to face. The relationship with the Father, the word here, is not only a revealer, but God himself reveals. Jesus Christ was with God. He was God. The word not only he is God, he has a relationship with the Father. He is the image. Later on in the gospel, Jesus will say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What more could you ask for? He is God in the flesh, deity, the one divine essence in three, in three persons. Certainly we see in a mirror dimly this morning. We can't see all truth. We can't understand it. There's great mystery. And that's what makes God God. If we could understand God entirely, we wouldn't be God. But we don't understand him entirely. But we know enough to worship him and to receive him. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Christmas. God manifest in the flesh. We have seen his existence. We have seen the essence of identity, his relationship, and now his relationship to the world. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator of the universe. All things, all of the universe, all of its laws came into being. And the word there is as a crisis, not as a, a, a process, but as a crisis or, or a point in time. The atheist physicist, Sean Carroll, he's a professor at the California Institute of Technology, in a recent interview, marveled at the breathtaking number of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. So if you have trouble going to sleep tonight, begin to count the stars. And when you get to 100 billion, you'll be asleep. 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. And there's 100 billion galaxies that we know of. Are you doing the math? That's a lot. What amazes him more is that the theoretical Big Bang just had to be right. 
just a few atoms out of place, and there would have been no birth to the known universe. It's a delicate arrangement, he said. It's a clue that the early universe is not chosen randomly. There is something that made it that way, but I don't know what it is. Dear Professor Sean, we know who it is. We know who the creator is. The word is God, the agent. The word is God in creation of all things. In doing it, he was God. The word of God created the world, and he's our Lord and our Savior, our maker, the agent of creation. So it tells us here that Christ was not made. Everything that's made, there's one category, and then there's things that are not made, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You might think that phrase is enough to settle it, but John goes on to say, all things were made through him. Well, maybe he made himself. John didn't leave it at that. And without him was not anything made that was made. The final words that was made add to the meaning. Without him was not anything made. The Holy Spirit makes explicit and absolutely clear that there's two categories, the made and the unmade, the created and the uncreated. Christ was not made. That's what it means to be God and the word of God. Without doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. It's not only important to correct theology, it's important to good worship. Over in Psalm 50, verse 21, these things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought, this is God speaking, you thought I was altogether like you. If you think God is like you, you've missed it. He is totally unlike us. But he loves us. He places image within us. He put eternity in our hearts, and he wants us to be his children. But we're not God. No wonder in heaven the seraphim cry out, covering their face, holy, holy, holy. That's the Christ of Christmas. He is holy, a God who has no origin, a son who has no origin, a Holy Spirit who has no origin. When we think of anything that has a beginning, you're not thinking about God. You're thinking about something else. He is the great I am. When he revealed himself to Moses as the great I am, he's saying, I am eternal. I am uncreated. I've always existed. And then he says over in the Psalms, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Oh. That caused you this morning? God, the great I am thinks about us. So when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating more than just a birthday, more than the birthday of a king even. We're the, the birth date, the human birthday of the great I am. The fact that he took on 
human flesh, the eternal son born into the human world, he became one of us. This truth is central to the gospels, to the epistles, remains central to our theology today. Knowing Jesus, the eternal son, helps us grasp what Christmas is all about. Quite simply, Christmas matters. Because without it, Easter is impossible. We need a savior that is fully human and fully divine to save us because we rightfully deserve death. At Christmas, he just didn't declare his love. He came. And I think those are the two most amazing words here in our text this morning, in verse 6. He came. If you want to memorize the scripture this week, those two words, he came. John 6, John 1, verse 6, he came. Those are amazing words. He came. He demonstrated his love. He just didn't tell us he loves us. He showed it. He gave it to us. May the Lord help us to see his glory, the glory of the eternal son. And if I could just challenge you, maybe take 10 or 15 minutes in your favorite chair this afternoon, don't fall asleep, or sometime this week, just think about the eternal son. Think about that he is the eternal God who came. Just let that gaze be upon the eternal son, who we're going to be with forever if you know him. If you don't know him this morning, you will not, you'll be judged by the words of his mouth. We've already been judged at Calvary. Let's worship him and adore him, Christ who is the eternal son. Compared to him and everything else, nothing matters. Everything else shrinks in insignificance. The son is going to be glorified. God, before the beginning, thought about us, loved us, and in Christ Jesus, he demonstrated his love for us. He created us to love and to adore him and to worship him. Philippians 2 God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue is going to confess it. Human, demonic, angelic, all tongues will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You have the opportunity this morning to confess him as your Lord or to renew that relationship with him if you don't know him. But one day, your knee will bow. One day, your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we have a guest in the front pew there who has been so good. I've been keeping my eye on this baby. Going to ask the parents to bring uh, baby Zane on up, and those who are going to be uh, comforting together with us to stand facing us here.